Thank you for joining the Bevel Talk, Season 11, Episode 4, Understanding the Art of Welding. Today, we're talking with special guest Jason Elliott from Elliott Welding Solutions. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to Bevel Talk. Thanks for joining with us. We've got Jason Elliott with Elliott Welding Solutions with us again. Jason, how are you today? I'm doing good, Danny. Thank you. Okay, so today I'm going to put some. I'm going to ask you to put on your your forward looking glasses. You know, previously we talked about how welding has changed, how automation has changed, where we're at now. But I want to see where is the the pipe welding and the oil and gas industry. Where are we headed? What is what does it look like in five years? What does it look like in ten years? What do our listeners need to be preparing for and learning about now? Well, from what I'm seeing, just from the differences from when I started in the early 90s to where it is today is we've gone more digital. We've gone more automated. And I think it's just going to get more and more automated as we go. And that's, it's hard to see the future, but being involved with all the new technologies, being able to uh, now do data recording on all the machines and everything. It's all about liability and making sure that you have a consistent heat input. And so I'm seeing now that a lot of hot wire TIG is coming in for doing uh, fill in caps. And what that does is that allows the companies to be able to do these weldments that are very high fatigue, very tight criteria weldments without having the issues of slag, non-fusion on the sidewall, stuff like that. So by doing the TIG side of it, it is a lot cleaner weld. And that is actually getting into more and more automated uh, from day to day. It's really getting into it. And the hot wire TIG allows you to increase your deposition rates, allows you to be able to melt that wire a little bit better, get you a higher travel speeds and the deposition rates by increasing that allows you to get your productivity way up. So I know that there's some welders out there that say, well, what's, what's the big deal with heat input? You know, I mean, yeah, it it gets hot when we, when we weld and, and yada, yada, yada. But this, this tendency to be so strict and have such stringent uh, specifications is just a load of malarkey. What, what would you tell them? How would you explain to them why it's so important? Well, it's very important. And you, as a welder, uh, when I first started out, I didn't understand why and what the needs were for preheating and keeping a certain travel speed, amps and volts. And the more I've gotten into it, and realize it's a science. It, it really is. It's kind of like the medical industry, how it's ever changing every day. And once you start qualifying procedures and doing mechanical testing for uh, on a PQR to be able to write a WPS, you start realizing that that heat, heat input is very, very critical because you might have a tensile on one side that passes and a tensile on the other that doesn't pass if it's not consistent. You might have tensiles or yields that are taken off each side that one yield might be 20,000 KSI more than the other side. And that's all because 
they're not a consistent heat input all the way around. So it allows you to have a very consistent weld, being able to control that heat input and having a consistent, consistent heat input that allows that weld to be strong all the way around, not be strong on one side and not strong on the other side, a lot weaker on the other side. So that heat input is very, very important. And until you actually start qualifying procedures and seeing these mechanical tests run, you don't realize that. And that's one of the things that in my career, I've actually written a book that it's a training book that I use when I go out and teach welders. That's one of the things I do for a lot of my customers is I'll go out and teach them and I'll explain to them why they need this heat input, why it needs to be consistent, why we preheat, why we don't preheat on certain materials. That way they understand and know because I've seen so many welders not understand why we have to preheat. So they'll cheat it. They'll come out there and they'll start, they'll say it's got a preheat of 400 degrees. I'll walk out there and you can always tell on a piece of carbon steel if it's 400 degrees or not, because you can see the color in the bevel. If that color hasn't turned to a, a, a dark blue, you know they haven't reached the 400 degrees. You walk up and you see it. You start asking them questions. Well, no, I, I got it to 200, 250. No, that's you need to be at 400. And this is the reason why. And so it's right. very, it even goes right down to the molecular structure of the integrity of the, the weldment. It does. It, it's all about the chemistry and the material. It's, you know, you're looking at all these different things and the welders that don't deal with that every day, they don't understand it. And until they do understand it, they really won't push to be right there where they need to be because they don't understand. And they're, well, why do I need to do that? Well, you have to sit down and explain to them, just like you said, the molecular structure, the chemistries, you know, the hardnesses. I mean, the HAZ, which a lot of these guys are looking at you when you say HAZ, they don't know it stands for heat affected zone. And they don't even know what that is. They know, hey, I did this well, then it's good. Well, not necessarily. You might have passed X-ray or UT, but if you didn't meet your heat input requirements, that well might actually be softer or it might be harder than what it truly needs to be. Take charge of your field preheat and bakeout applications using induction heating with the new ArcReach heater. Providing up to 600 degrees Fahrenheit, it's part of the ArcReach technology platform as an accessory for select ArcReach power sources. Learn more about induction heating benefits and the new ArcReach heater at millerwelds.com slash arcreachheater. That's one thing that was fascinating to me as I really started to learn is, hey, sometimes we actually want a joint to be a little bit softer. We want it to be able to flex just a little bit more. And other times, no, that joint has to be the hardest part of all of this pipe. And just understanding and figuring all of that out, the engineering behind it, the math behind it, the chemistry behind it, just is amazing it is a lot of welders don't even know how much they're doing when it comes to to science and what they're doing they're they just know they've been taught by by you know steve the old hand tribal knowledge and this is just the way we do it and steve knew but he never passed on the why to a lot of these guys or a lot of guys do know why and and they're continuing to share it and we're trying to build up a bigger knowledge base in, in and around welding anyway. 
Correct. I mean, it's a, it's one of those things that if you don't know why you're doing it, you'll always question, why do I have to do it? And the more knowledge you're able to get, and that's what I see with a lot of these schools, a lot of the schools nowadays don't teach that portion of it. So these new welders are getting out there. They're doing it. Yeah, they might have a good weld, but they don't realize the science behind it. It's an it's a science, and then it becomes an art and skill. And a lot of people don't realize that you, it's hard to find welders that have skill, and it's a, a true art learning how to do that, especially when you get into the TIG side. I mean, being able to adjust your heat, being able to walk the cup, being able to feed the wire all in one motion, that's hand-eye coordination. It's a, it's a skill that actually becomes into an art. And if they don't understand why, they they will always ask the question, well, if, why do we have to do it? And that is one of the hardest things is being able to teach welders and sit down with them. That's one of the things I really like doing with a lot of my customers is sit down with their welders and explain that. So now they understand it and they know the reasoning behind it. So one of my favorite ways of describing what a welder is or what they do is with the skill and precision of a surgeon, they take the fires of hell and build the world. Like in my opinion, a beautiful way of saying we do really cool stuff and we have to understand and know what we're doing. Um, And you're never, ever, ever going to know it all about welding. I'm sure that you've got people that are your go-to in certain areas of welding when you have questions to bounce ideas off of or to, to, to carry things forward. There's, it's so broad, so deep, and so many different applications that there's no way you're going to know every bit of it. Correct. I, I mean, I'm a CWI, but I've been in this industry a long time, and I've worked with, I would say, three or four of the best welding engineers in the world. And those guys have taught me a lot. And whenever I get into something that I don't quite know, I had some material last week that I've never even heard of. And so I started asking the questions. I started doing some research on it. And I called a friend of mine that is a director of welding engineering for a company and probably one of the best welding engineers I've ever met. And like you said, he didn't even know. He started looking it up too. And then I made a few other calls. I've got quite a few welding engineer friends that I can call and ask. And we finally all kind of put our heads together to figure out how to weld this material, which this material was not even meant when it was designed. It wasn't meant to be welded. But we have figured out now a way to weld it. But I it took a collective effort between three or four degreed welding engineers to help me to find a way to do this. And like you said, not everybody's going to know. And especially in the Gulf Coast region where you get around Houston, where I'm at, you see a variety of different materials more here than you do anywhere else in the world. Yeah, it's it's just amazing. So, Jason, if you had one or two pieces, pieces of advice for our listeners who are either seasoned hands or are learning and trying to get into it, what would you what would your advice be to the, to our listeners one thing is is if you're a welder out there and you're doing something and you don't understand why you're doing it ask the question the more knowledge you have the more power you have and the more reason you have to make it right 
And that's the biggest thing is, is a lot of these guys will just do it and not know why they're doing it. The more they know about it, the more reason they have to do it right. And then on top of that, if there's questions that need to be answered, ask those questions and try to take those answers that you get and pass them on so other people know. A lot of people will just do it and not say a word and don't understand why. But it's all about learning the skill. It's learning about the science of it. Research what a what tensile tests are, what yield strengths are, what a CTOD, what an impact testing, you know, all the different testings and see, you know, what goes into that. So you understand when that procedure is written, there is written for a reason the way it's written because it passed the test at the lab. That's the biggest thing is, is understanding mechanical testing. So if these welders are out there and they've never seen it or heard of it, do some research, go on to Google and Google how they do these tests and what affects these tests. And it'll tell you a lot right there. Then that way you have some knowledge and understanding of why you do what you do and why it's on that procedure to do it that way. I think back to one of the first Ben tests I ever took um, in a high school welding class, you know, the, the teacher telling us, all right, make sure your grind marks go, you know, parallel with 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 the material don't don't cross cut it you want it and half of us listened and half of us didn't and i'm not going to tell you which half i was in (laughs) and half of us failed and half of us didn't and i'm not going to tell you which half i was in (laughs) but it's it's just simple stuff that you're understanding and afterwards he explained to us why and how it helped carry the stresses across rather than than you know with the material rather than across the weld joint and and all sorts of cool information. Correct. And I mean, even on bend test, being able to round corners so you don't have a stress fracture right in the corner or a sharp edge. You can break a a bend test on a perfectly good weld by not even rounding the corner. And that goes into understanding why you do what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, thank you so much for joining with us. We appreciate your time and your expertise. Um, If you have any questions, please reach out to us. Reach out to Jason. We'll try to answer your questions. But thank you for listening to Bevel Talk. Thank you, Danny.